So, here we are with some uh, some pretty special machinery around us right this second. I know. Um, we kindly got this garage again. I love this place. I think some of the bikes in here are very, very special. <laughs> it, is, it is particularly difficult to concentrate on talking when you've got all this to look at, but... I know. It's Italian, Italian porn, isn't it, really? <laughs> uh, I think... Um, I mean, we've had to jump through hoops again with this, with COVID and everything else. You know, we've all been tested and, you know, we've got the distance between us. I mean, it has been a real pain, hasn't it? It has. But I think that, um, I don't know how you feel, but I feel that um, just being able to do anything at the moment is a bonus, isn't it? You know, yeah. the fact that we can come here and look around and see what's going on and, and have a chat and, and do this podcast, I think it's really yeah. cool. And most of it's through Zoom nowadays, isn't it? <laughs> I don't know, man. Yeah, exactly. You spend your whole life like on a Zoom call thinking, oh, right, okay, can we can we go out the house? No, actually, no, we're not allowed. Just go we? to the but pub. Just to go to the pub for me. That I mean, I live in a village. I live in a remote area of Kent. And um, just to go to the pub, I miss that um, social aspect of it when you meet the rest of the people in the village and just... Just to sit and chat, you know. Hi, how you doing? You know. How is that for you? Bearing in mind that that you are who you are, and you're on the TV, and everybody gets to see you doing your thing on Bake Off and whatever else. How do you find that when you when you pop out to like a a local pub or you go to a restaurant? Is it is it a problem? Do you do you have loads of people coming around and wanting to have a Hollywood handshake or <laughs> get a soggy bottom or whatever? <laughs> how does it How does it work? I think ultimately, I, I think if I was in a city, it, it probably affect me more. Because obviously there's more people. Mm. I think when you're in a village, once once you get to meet people and they talk to you and realise you know you haven't got three heads and um, and you're a normal person, um, I think it becomes more normal. So most of the people in the village know who I am. They just treat me like everybody else. I mean, you get the odd um, people coming in who are not from the area coming and go, "Is that Paul Wally was sitting over there?" And they'll come over and say, "Oh, how do you make baps?" What? Um, so it, it's something which I you get used to. Uh, and you know, nowadays it's not autographs anymore. It's 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 selfies. You know, selfies are the big thing. Um, but I don't mind. I mean, it, it comes with the territory. You know, it really does come with the territory. Do you find when you get uh, a new person that will come up to you, somebody you don't know, do you have like a, a generic kind of question that you get asked all the time? You know, does does somebody come up to you? Is it like probably nine out of ten people that come up to you and start with a one liner that you just <laughs> think, oh, here we go again? Um, can I have a handshake? Is normally the normal one right um i normally say well, where's your bake um so i know I, I precursor that with i need to see a bake before i give a handshake i think the other one is uh what's prue like or what's mary like you know when i was with mary it was what what's mary like on and when i was with prue now it's prue mm. um and that they're the, the common questions and the other the other one that pops up more than you think more than you <laughs> more than i can explain really is um you know, at the top, the titles of the Bake Off, you you end up with a a shot with the with the Great British Bake Off written on it, and it's over um, a chocolate cake with raspberries on it, and there's a raspberry missing. Everybody that drives people crazy. The amount Did you of eat people. It? That, no, <laughs> 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 but the, people always ask me that. Why is that raspberry missing? And they've always done that, and I don't know why they've done it because it does wind some people up. But again, that's a, that's an odd one, but that sticks in my mind as well because I watch the titles and go, "They needed to put that extra raspberry in there." I think you need to ask that question. I think that needs to be addressed, <laughs> and we need to get it on our podcast. It's like worldwide exclusives because of why the why uh, is that why raspberry, raspberry missing? missing? Yeah, <laughs> it's true. It's true. <laughs> I um I always find that um you know certainly since since my accident happened, you know the the first thing 
the first thing anybody says to me that you meet for the first time, when are we going to see you back on a bike? And, yeah. and that was what makes me ask the, the question to you because, yeah. you know, you being you, you being out and about, a lot more people will see you or, or know of you than they will of a, you know, an old has-been motorbike racer. So I'll leave um, it out where we are. <laughs> so, yeah, it, uh, it, must be, it must be weird when people... I think it, what's odd is um, I've done a lot of I did city bakes which I travelled all over the world I was fortunate um, and I did this for I think it was UK Food and it went up to US Network as well and I did 30 cities over two years and I was away a lot actually I was in Peter, uh, Peter's and Petersburg I was in Iceland I was in Cape Town I was in LA Miami all over the world I was, it was a fantastic gig to get and we spent normally four, five, six days in each place, depending on how far we had to fly because we were exhausted, you know. Uh, and people, when you go to these cities, I didn't realize how far Bake Off has gone. You know, the reach of Bake Off. Reach, you know, Bake Off is probably one of the most franchise programs in, in the world at the moment. And it literally has reached every part of the globe. And I remember when I do City Bakes, people will come up to me and go, oh, I haven't what, seen it on the Isle of Sheppey yet. What, in the Isle of Sheppey? It's not quite the Isle of Sheppey yet, but... <laughs> they got <laughs> They're TVs. working on it, yeah. No. <laughs> they got televisions over <laughs> We're there. We're working on getting electric at the moment. <laughs> you want to get on your bike and start generating more electric, <laughs> that's what you need to do. I think, ultimately, it was weird going to places like... Uh, St. Petersburg, I wasn't recognised. There was a couple of people in the hotel that knew who I was. But it was places like in the middle of Alabama, I crossed from New York to LA on a big dog chopper this proper easy rider style bike. And I picked it up in New York and headed to LA via Georgia, Miami, Arizona, cut through there. I was in New Mexico and headed across Nevada to LA. And that particular journey, that's when I realized that, hang on, people in America watch Bake Off. I know I do the American version of the show for ABC, but I didn't realize how many people watch the British one out in America. And it was in the middle of Alabama, we're having a we're having a, a couple of drinks, and someone comes. Oh my god, I watch you and I watch you on Vegas. What? <laughs> what? Really? How did you watch that? That's pretty cool. But it, it, it's Netflix have picked it up now, and it, it is a global thing now. It's big in Australia, Brazil, mm. weirdly, um, a lot of South America, Mexico, Scandinavia. Um, they do their own, but they also get the British one as well. So talking, you've been fortunate enough, obviously, as you just said, to to travel all over the world doing these shows and stuff. Where is Paul Hollywood's happy place? Where is it you like to go? Well, if you could travel, you know, we're in the middle of a, of a lockdown, aren't we? It's difficult mm. to even get out of the front door at the moment or go to the supermarket. You know, if you could go anywhere, where's your where's your happy place? Where do you like to escape to? Weirdly, I was asked this question. I did Who Do You Think You Are for, for the BBC, and I, I did this programme. The first question they asked me was that. Where do you feel more comfortable? Where's your happy place? And I said, remote, uh, mountains, uh views panoramic views beauty and just being on my own and taking in the view to feel small in this huge environment of i love mountains and there's something about mountains and um at the end of the journey on who do you think you are i ended up in uh Gaelock and pull you which is where my great my five great grandfather was from scottish highlands really the proper northwest of scotland i ended up on this little patch of uh land and they said, this is your family's croft. This is where, you know, your family lives. And I went, what? And where was it? Stream, valley, huge mountains, view over the sea. And I went, this is it. This, this is where I'm happy. And now when I travel, there's two places I really love. One spiritually I really like is Jerusalem. There's something about Jerusalem. And I've been there on a few occasions now. 
I was fortunate enough to go on top of this uh, convent, which was run by these nuns in uh, the heart of old Jerusalem. And I went onto a roof, and you're overlooking the Golden Dome, and you can see the Church of the Sepulchre as well. And you, you're looking over this ancient historical land, which you know, I grew up in a church environment. So I, I was looking at this land, which I'd already read about, mm. thinking, this is crazy being in J Jerusalem. But Jerusalem is an amazing place. So they broke out into prayer in the, in the dome, and the hairs on the back of your neck stand up. It's, it's an amazing sound where it echoes around old Jerusalem. And then the church bell started in the, in the sepulchre, the church for the Holy Sepulchre. And there was a noise, and I, I was standing on top with these nuns just looking around going, there's something here, there's something, there's something here. You know, there's something's ha something happened here. And I don't know what it is. We all know from, the, from biblically what happened. But it's, so, I don't know, something about Jerusalem. But that is an amazing place. Spiritually, you feel very content. I don't know, something, a strange feeling I got in Jerusalem. And I suppose the other places, I, I started learning to ski when I was quite late in life. And I've been to a couple of mountaintops in Verbier and Chamonix, where you go up, you know, several chairlifts and lifts, and you get up to the top of these mountains and ski down. And there's little cafes you can sit. And the sun's out. Because I, I always thought... People come back, you see these people coming back from skiing and they've got, they look like pandas, you know, and they've got <laughs> white eyes, brown faces. And I'm going, how'd you get a tan in the Alps? And sure enough, I was up there and I was, I, I don't actually wear a lot of thermal stuff because I'm quite, quite hot, you know, you're skiing anyway. And I stripped off and I was sitting there in a t-shirt on this, on this deck chair with a hot chocolate on the top of this mountain in Verbier, looking out with the whitest, white, the most beautiful snow scenes, with the brightest blue sky you've ever seen, with the sun beating down on me. And I was sweating, <laughs> thinking, how does this happen? And it was incredible, absolutely incredible. And I, I, I sat there for three hours. I must have had seven, eight hot chocolates. <laughs> um, and in my head, most of the team had sort of left and done their own thing. And I, I just felt totally at peace and content and warm. It was lovely. So there's a reason I asked you about your, your happy place, the place you'd like to escape to. And that's because obviously we we both share um, a passion for motorcycling. Yeah. You know, you're a, a very, very keen motorcyclist, probably more keen than, than me, myself, <laughs> and I'm paid to race the things. But um I was going to ask you the next question was was road trip, but obviously we're not mm. going to take one up the Alps in uh, in the snow, are we? Is so, that a euphemism? Well, I don't know, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> um, I was going to say, where would we go um, if we were going to go on a road trip together on bikes? Then where I, would you I, like to go? Summertime Alps. I think traveling from say Britain to Ducati headquarters, that would be a dream trip, and the views would be amazing. So imagine if we both headed off putting your rucksack on, loading up the bike, and then heading off. I'd only stay at decent hotels, so I don't think I'd camp. But <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll <laughs> but move you, don't those worry. Those days have passed. Those <laughs> days are gone. Those camping days are gone. But I think heading off through France, stopping off a couple of times, you know, doing five, six hours a day, and then heading through the Alps, through those passes on those bikes, you know, good super bike, and then dropping down the other side, maybe going through the Chamonix Tunnel to Comayer, dropping down Turin and heading across to Ducati headquarters. That would be the dream trip for me. That, that's something we should do. Back by South of France. We need to Monaco, cover. We need to film Bay. that. We need to film that. Well, get it sorted. I will. You're supposed to be the man with connections. I'll leave it out. I don't think I've got any. <laughs> but I'd love to do that. That's, that's, that would be a dream trip for yeah, sure. No, good road trip would be cool. Um, what else can we ask you? So, um, lockdown. 
What's going on in lockdown for Paul Hollywood? Lock, lockdown's been... I've been very fortunate. You know, I live in a, quite a rural part of Kent. It's beautiful here. You know, I f do feel sorry for the people sitting in these apartment blocks or in the flats and they've got nowhere to take the kids outside and they're stuck inside. That must be a nightmare. And I, I've got it easy in comparison. I think mentally, you know, we've been in there for, no, for nigh on a year. And I think in Kent, we've been in full lockdown now since October, near enough. You know, three months in and you, you miss people. You know, this is unusual to talk to people face to face. I think you miss people. I think it is quite difficult. Uh, and I am struggling to the point where you want to go out and you want to travel. Sometimes I'll go in the car just to go and put some fuel in the car and come back just to say I've been 500 yards down the road to put fuel in the car. Um, I miss going out on the bikes. It's I probably run out. It's known your car. It's probably run out by the time you got back as well. Anyway. <laughs> it takes a five to fire it up. <laughs> turn around and go back to the fuel station again. <laughs> it's, it's true. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> I must admit, I missed the bikes because the weather's so poor at the moment. I think in the last lockdown, which started March 23rd last year, the weather was amazing. I think we we're all very lucky last year. You know, the lockdown, the weather was beautiful. And I managed to jump out on the bike and I did. That was my sort of exercise. I sort of did round the block on the bike every other day. And I loved it, you know, I looked forward to going out on the bike and just doing a, a circuit and coming back again. Um, just to feel, a p a feel part of something. Mm. You know, I felt we're all going through it, but we're all going through it individually. And we relied very much on what we were seeing in the press. Mm. And I think the day that the Bake Off team phoned me up, I remember I thought, we're not going to do Bake Off this year. We're, we're not going to do it. We're not going to be able to do it. How are we going to do it? And then they came through with this plan about how we were going to do it. And we had these COVID officers involved what we had to do to make the Bake Off work because they thought if Bake Off is needed, it's this year. Because so many people were contacting me saying, I want to bake, I want to learn how to bake. So they were watching Bake Off, they were going online, they were baking, everyone was making banana bread and bread. And actually, I make a lot of bread at home. I make all my bread at home. Uh, even though, you know, press, of, press <laughs> stories I've seen, uh, press, don't tell me about that. The press stories I've seen, I, I've never seen so many... Um, untruths said about me ever uh, and one of them was I never make my own bread of course I do I, I always have I love it you know I enjoy making bread uh, but it is my job it's like anything you know you tend not to and it took me years to to master how to make bread at home making it in a bakery is very different to making it at home so in lockdown I learned really um to almost like myself because, I know it sounds weird because all of a sudden I wasn't concentrating on other things. I had to concentrate on myself in the sense of you had to look after yourself. You had to do things for yourself. You had to occupy your mind. I used to read a lot. Read your book. Did you? Great autobiography, that, mate. Can you say that again? Absolutely. Great autobiography. They can get it at shaky.com, by the way. Okay. Oh, it's at shaky.com. Well, you can get your they, book. They can't get it there now because I've sold out. <laughs> oh, have, they, have they got rid of the 500 yeah. already? No, no, no. They ended at 200. If you get an unsigned <laughs> one, apparently they're rarer. <laughs> it's because everybody scribbles on them. <laughs> 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 I used it as toilet roll. <laughs> but I think ultimately, I, I, I think people got to know themselves more. And I think it's, it's a very weird world we're living in at the moment where this virus is not just something that's happening in your village, your town, your city, your country. It's happening globally and it's happening all over the world. And, you, you know, you watch the news and I sort of watch it, you know, like that through your fingers going, what's happening now? You know, how many people have died, you know, recently? I, my brother phoned me up uh, a couple of weeks ago to say that he, he, he got caught COVID petrified of my mum getting it you know but uh he was hospitalized he felt this weight on his chest uh and i was panicking thinking my brother's gone to the hospital you know is he all right and i couldn't couldn't get hold of him 
the Wi-Fi uh, in the hospital wasn't working at the time, so he couldn't contact us. He had his mobile, and I was texting him. My other brother, and we set up this WhatsApp group, and we were sort of trying to bombard him. Where are you? Well, what's happening? Are you in ICU? You're breathing okay? What's happening? And there was a huge panic from me, thinking, I don't want to lose my brother. You know, this is this is my brother. Then I was on my phone to him. Have you seen? Have you seen my brother live? Have you seen him recently? So I was really worried, and I think we are worried. We're all worrying about family members. You know, I think um, it's scary times. You know, and fortunately, these vaccines come along now, and we're thinking, get this vaccine out now as quickly as possible. So I think it's been really hard for for everybody. I've just buried myself in my kitchen. I enjoy cooking. I love cooking, um, and I I've been sort of mastering uh, risotto recently. Is my my thing. Curry's my next one. I can make a curry, but it's not brilliant. So now I want to learn how to make a really good curry. But risottos have been. I'm happy with that now. I'm 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 absolutely made up with beans on toast personally. Don't oh yeah, you? yeah. No, I'm good at that. I can smash that. No problem. <laughs> um, obviously, um, you know, it's, it's interesting listening to you talk about the uh, about the press and, mm. and some of the untruths and stuff. Yeah. How do you cope with, um, you know, for instance, you'll read a headline or you'll see something about you. You know, sometimes you're you're almost sort of like this pantomime criminal oh, you're, you're no. portrayed to be. How, how does that affect you? Well, you know, especially when we're when we're all stuck inside. You, you can't you can't really go out and justify yourself or, or do no. something to say, oh, you know, that's not true. That's not the case or whatever. Well, it, so well, how do you cope with that? I think it's it's it is difficult. It is difficult. I mean, um I always equate it to the bullies, you know, and that's what they are. You know, when when they want a piece of you and they want to have a go, that's what they'll do, and they'll come up with anything. I mean, I think when you read um, uh, an associate said or an insider said, you're thinking, mm, yeah, right. I mean, they're basically lies. And so you've got to take a lot of that with a pinch of salt. I never answer them. You'll notice I've never answered anything, and I never say my side, ever, ever. Because I think silence is 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 the right way to go. You just it's rubbish. It's rubbish. Why why would I bother answering it? There are other people who I know who say, why don't you just say it's all rubbish? Mm. It's not me. I I just go quiet and go do whatever you want, guys. You know, I, I'm I'm really not I'm not fussed. Um, it did used to hurt me. Um, you know, because I was thinking of my family. Uh, you know, my mum, my brothers, and thinking, oh, no, you know, what what are they going to think? But they know the truth mm. and they know what's going on. So. I'm, it's it's water over ducks back now, and um, you know even Prue has said how do you <laughs> how do you stay quiet? It's because I'm used to it now, mm. and uh, and I just Bake Off has been amazing, and I love my job. I love it's almost evangelizing baking, and I love passing on my knowledge, the little knowledge I do have to people. And if, if anyone gets bacon off the back of it, I've done my job. Um, I, at the end of the day, I'm not a politician. Uh, I'm not in a position of power. I judge cakes and breads and pastries. That's all I do. Um, I, I'm nothing special. I, I just enjoy what I do. And if people enjoy watching the program and really get into it, um, that that's all good. And I think the Bake Off has done amazing things for people at home. You know, they've really got into baking and, and enjoyed it. And some people have made businesses from it. You know, they've started off making the odd brownie or muffins and they've built it into a business and they're making their own little bit of money on the side, you know, and they're thinking that's a good thing. Mm. And it also teaches kids, I think, what goes into food and that is part of what I do. So all the other stuff about my personal life and everything else, I just back that away because everybody is entitled to a private life, everybody, no matter what you do. And um, at the end of the day, I'm not in a position of power. I judge on a 
all right, it's a very popular baking show. So I think, okay, fair enough, uh, bring it on, you know. So when I, I personally never recall ever wanting to be anything other than, than the job I did, a mm. motorbike racer. So where did this whole baking thing start for you? Where did, the, where did the whole TV thing take off? How did it all come about? Well, I never set out to do telly. That's the, that's the thing. I set out to become a, a bloody good baker. That's what I, all I wanted to do. My dad was a baker. Mm -hmm. And so I was in, initially when I left school, with nothing. I, I, my O-levels were terrible. I mean, I was, <laughs> I was, yeah. I mean, I actually got moved up when I moved from primary school to my middle school. Uh, I was doing okay. My mom and dad split when I was 10. I think that affected me. So I was a bit of a rebel, you know. I, I wouldn't go into school. I was upset with my mom. I blame my mom, you know, as most kids would initially. And then I, when I went to my comprehensive school in Wallasey, they put me into CSE to do CSEs, not GCSEs. That's when it, you know, it was two. You either did GCSEs, um, uh, GCEs or CSEs. Mm. Uh, and they put me in band two, which was CSEs. And then after my first report, I got, I must have got straight A's. I think I did. I think I got straight A's. They moved me up to O level, which was GCE, and that's where I remained. But I never really tried in school. I was a, I was lazy, hated revising, hated school, and um, I left with pretty much nothing. But I thought I was alright at art and sculpture, you know, and you know, modelling and all that sort of stuff. And so I thought I'll go to art school. My mum went to art school, so I followed initially in my mum's footsteps. Went to art school, studied sculpture in the end, did alright with that. And then my dad pulled me out of art school and said, come and join my business. He had a chain of bakeries. And I thought, why do I want to do that? And I had long hair at the time. And he said to me, uh, get your hair cut and come and join the business. I'll give you 500 quid. Now, in the 80s, that's a lot of money, 500 quid. Now it's probably a couple of grand. I thought, I'm going to get my hair cut. So literally, I went from long hair to shaved, joined the business, and learned my trade from the ground up, literally from the bottom up. I was looking after the toilets for about six months. Um, didn't even put me anywhere near the tables to learn how to bake. But over years, I picked it up and I was all right at it. Uh, then I ended up working at the Chester Grosvenor, ended up going abroad. I was at the Dorchester, uh, Clifton. And then in the end, I was, I was recognized in Cyprus uh, by a producer called um, Jake Senior, who I still know now, weirdly. He said to me, why don't you come and do this program about um, uh, food from the village which Thane Prince who was a cookery writer and um, amazing chef um, was doing this program would I be part of it and show what the Cypriots did for food I was living in Cyprus at the time I said yeah okay did it and she goes oh you're really good on camera you should do something I eventually went back to the UK in tow with my newly wedded wife came back to the UK and then signed with an agent and then over, I did a series with James Martin I did two series with James uh, one series with James Martin called Use Your Loaf in this weird sort of flat in London. Um, and then I did a Hollywood Loaves thing for uh, UK food, I think it was. And then in the end, did a few bits and pieces with This Morning with Richard and Judy and Gloria Hunniford I worked with. And then uh, I ended up sort of doing a few bits and pieces and I had my own business then supplying Harvey Nicks, um, Harrods uh, with breads and started supplying restaurants, supermarkets, local businesses, you know. And then out, out the blue in 2009, I got a call. And it said, and I've been promised stuff before from production companies. Oh, we're doing a program, we'd really like you. And now Sue Perkins put my name forward for this program. And they said, uh, it's a new program, we're gonna be baking it in a tent. 
I said, what do you mean bacon? Didn't that be a good tent? idea. That'll work. You're crazy. <laughs> you know the weather outside. This is winter. And I went, I'm not going in a tent in this weather. That's ridiculous. They wanted it like village fate. Yeah. You know, the, this village fate, this very village tent and, you know, the bunting, the whole thing. And he said, well, basically, you and a judge, an older judge. And I went, right. And two hosts. And we get bakers in and we whittle them down and have a winner. Calling it the Great British Bake Off. And I went, oh, that rolls off the tongue. Right. Uh, and we want you to audition. I went, right, okay. So I auditioned with several other people. And eventually I was picked to do the job. And then they, they kept on going on about this older person, older person. And straight away I said, is that Mary Berry? <laughs> <laughs> and they went, uh, we can't say. And I went, right. And eventually I walked into the stream. It was Mary. And I'd worked on a program prior to that where I was hosting this um, cookery, cookery series with Jenny Barnett, which I'd done for a few years with Ed Baines and Simon Rimmer. We sort of alternated between the three of us over the year. So I got used to being in front of camera and hosting and cooking and all that stuff. And then um, I walked into this room and Mary was one of the guests on that program. So I walked in and saw Mary again straight away. Sparks were there and we were having a right laugh. I love Mary, you know, and I still do. I, I've got a lot of fond memories of Mary. We had a great time. So we did the program. We thought, well, this isn't going to work. You know, I was just, and halfway through the program, the edi editor who, edits the program and he'd done many many programs was coming back with this is a great program he really loves it um uh i said sue what do you reckon then we get a second series he goes mm, i'm not sure i'm not sure and then the first series came out i think we peaked at 3.5 million he threw us on a wednesday evening at eight o'clock i think it was some bizarre time on a bbc2 and it the second series we got 5.5 then 7.5 million 9.5 11.5 .5, 13 15, 18, 17, I think. Uh, the last one we did win uh, in the BBC, I think with the figures from my play, I think it was in the 22 million uh, viewers, which is biblical. They're, they're like 80s numbers, ridiculous numbers. And we'd won three BAFTAs and all this sort of stuff. I thought, this is ridiculous. And then obviously the move from BBC to Channel 4 and, and, and on it goes, you know, I enjoyed it. I love my job. I love my job. Okay, so Bake Off then, looking back, you know, we've, we've discussed the whole uh, the whole thing of it being this idea of, you know, filmed in a tent and garden fate type ordeal and yeah. not being sure whether or not it worked. But sort of 2007, 2008 time, um, Bake Off obviously changed from BBC and switched over to Channel 4. Now, you obviously went to Channel 4 and, and some of the some of the other judges or whatever didn't. And you got an absolute slating for perhaps chasing the dough i think the headline was or whatever you know what what was the truth behind it what happened there yeah I, the what happened was the the contract i think with bbc was up and they had the chance to keep bake off and i don't think um they i mean i don't think at the time that the production company you know weren't necessarily just going to stay with the bbc forever i think they looked around um, I think they wanted to value the business, you know, Bake Off, where could they move to, what could they do, what could change. And obviously, as the judges, Mary Eyes, Mel and Sue, we had nothing to do with the, with the move because we were, we were just the talent, you know, we were the people on the camera. We weren't involved with these high-level meetings about moving to another channel. We had rumours that the BBC had ended their contract, you know, that we didn't know what was going to happen with the program was going to carry on was going to stop what mm. um and then we got a call from the head of the production company saying we're moving to channel four i went oh well that's a, wow okay but actually not a lot of people know that channel four still 
license fee paid. It's like the BBC. It's a non-profit thing. You know, they use commercials to top it up. Mm. Um, and that's the closest thing to the BBC is Channel 4. ITV are fully commercial, so it's a different scenario. So they picked Channel 4, and um, straight away, Mel and Sue's were out with staying with the BBC. And I don't forget, you know, Mel and Sue have been around for a long, long time. You know, they've been close comic buddies for many, many years. They've done lots of things together. And I think they were working on the premise that they were going to stay with the BBC with other series and do all the work. And actually, I'd done very little with the Beeb. I hadn't done that many programmes outside of Bake Off. I was very much put it back in the box, brought out to do Bake Off, and that was it. I'd done a lot of things outside with other channels, but not, you know, within the BBC. I'd done a couple of things. Um, Mary had always had a series, you know, this mainstay of Mary cooking at home. So she was, again, she was always part of the BBC. She was part of the furniture. And I think at the time when they moved, Mel and Sue said they were going to stay. And I wanted to think about it. It's like any, it's like any business deal, really. It was my job I was going to walk out of. And I love doing my job. I'm a judge on a baking show, which I love. Uh, and we, you know, we grown this program from where it was to where it is. And I thought, well, I don't want to leave my job. Um, I'm not quite sure what I'm moving to. Because there was nothing there to move to. Well, I just go, right, I'm going to stop my job. Um, so in the end, I, I, Mary and I were the only ones who hadn't made a decision. And I think Mary stayed because she had been offered series as well. She'd done really well with her own series and her books. She'd done really well. And I thought, right. So she then jumped and said, I'm going I'm to leave the, leave the program. And I thought, right, it's just me. And then they said, what are you going to do? And at the time, I remember being pasted in the press. You know, Paul's doing all that. Paul's chasing the dough. I hadn't made a decision. I haven't done anything. Um, I love my job, and I didn't want to leave my job. And I thought, what am I going to do? So I thought, how do you make a decision on your future? You need the options, surely. It's like anything. Mm. Um, so I knew the BBC wanted me to stay with the BBC. Uh, in what role was up in the air? No one really offered me anything concrete. And then I went to Channel 4, listened to what they had to offer, Um and the production company said, please stay. You know, we, want, we don't want you to leave the program. And I said, well, I don't want to leave the program. So I made a, a decision when I'd heard both sides of the camp. And I said, well, hang on, I'm gonna, just going to stay with my job, surely. Mm. And that's what I did. I, I feel I love my job. Um, I love doing my job. Pantomime villain or no, uh, which I know I am. Um, I'm not a pantomime villain. I'm honest with them. I'm honest with the bakers, and that's where you have to be as a judge. You know, if it's not good, you, I, it's always constructive criticism with me. Um, and I don't think, you know, being vilified in the press the way it was, that was constructive at all. They didn't know the whole story and still don't. Um, there's only a few people that really know the whole, the whole story at the time. And ultimately, it was the production company that set up with Channel 4, and my job was still there. So I hadn't actually left anything, so I said, right, I'm, I'll stay with my job. Then the awkward part was who was going to replace Mel and Sue and Mary? And then it was on who was going to do all the roles on the bake-off. And that took a while to find the right people. And um, Prue was brilliant. I mean, I always wanted Prue to do it. Prue was magnificent. And it's been proved she is exceptional at what she does. I love Prue to bits. I really do. She's so feisty. She's so funny. She's so colorful. Um, I, I've got a lot of fondness for Prue. Uh, she puts the world to rights. I can sit with her for hours chatting. So when the program came out, we are all really nervous, and it did really well. And it, it, everyone's got, oh, Bake Off's changed. It hasn't. The bakers are the Bake Off. 
not the hosts and not the judges. Always was, always will be. The bakers are the stars of the show. We're just the framework around that beautiful picture. Mm. The bakers will always be the star of the show. And the Which tent. one of you is the raspberry? Oh, that, the one that's missing. <laughs> that's <been me>. <laughs> <laughs> just out of interest, listening to you and watching you, you know, answer that question. You know, it's quite a deep question. And it feels to me a little bit like that was the first time you've had a chance to, to get that off your chest. You know, when you see somebody say something for yeah. the first time, do yeah. you feel... Do you feel a little bit more at ease now you've kind of, I'm a, not, not everybody's going to listen to this yeah, podcast, yeah, yeah. but you, you've kind of got that off your chest because I do think you've got a, a really hard time. Perhaps everyone in Fort well, he's gone off to do this and chase the money. But ultimately, all you've done was, was stay with the job well, you were with. I just stayed with the job that I always had. Mm. I don't know, I, I'm the one that didn't leave anything. Mm. The production company left the channel, but I haven't left my, my job. Um, and ultimately, I was really sad as well. Really sad. I mean, I, I remember crying. Um, I remember when Mel, I realized I wasn't going to work with Mel, Sue and Mary again. I, I was really upset, really upset because I was really fond of all three of them. They were like sisters to me and Mary was like my mum. Mm. And to not be with them, I was really nervous to be out my own and exposed and vilified the way I was. I thought, this isn't fair. I haven't, I haven't left anything. I've stayed with the job. And I, I was upset about it. I was really deeply upset about it. Um, and I, I wanted the program to carry on because I thought it was a great program. It taught people about baking, and we were doing junior bake off as well. There's all sorts of things going on. The kids loved it, you know. And I thought the program shouldn't stop. It shouldn't stop. And you know, this whole Top Gear thing had happened as well. You know, Top Gear had moved. They'd moved on to somewhere else. They'd gone on to Amazon, you know. And the lads had done well on that. And I thought, you know what? I'm gonna. I'm gonna I don't want to lose my job. No, I'll stay with my job. You know, it's so. really interesting. You mentioned in Top Gear. I reckon that we need to do something like that. Can you imagine? <laughs> we need you know, to do you, that. You know, when you look at something and you see you see guys that are literally like living the dream. Yeah. You know, like I, I get that there's an element of you know you're you're going to get grief. You know, you're a successful mm. person. You mm. make a lot of money, and people like to to tear into you for decisions you make, or or yeah. maybe decisions you don't make because yeah. they think you made them or whatever. But um, you, you can't help but look at shows like that and think how much fun must that be. Oh, yeah. So post-COVID, going forward, mm. um, what's next for, for Paul Hollywood? I don't know. I mean, me and you have been talking, haven't we? And I think ultimately, I think me and you should do something. I mean, you've got attributes in on the racetrack, which I'd love to have, and I don't have, but... I can ride a bike. I'm I can't okay. bike a cake, though. Yeah, but maybe that's the thing. <laughs> that's what we do. You teach me how to ride a bike on a track, you know, well, and I will teach you how to bake, and then there lies what we should do next. So maybe it's a road trip to and checking out local bakeries and food. Um, I think there's something in that. I, I, I need to be taught by you properly how to, how to jump on a bike and handle a bike on a track. And I'll teach you how to handle some flour and water. I don't, I'm not so sure I'm really there, <laughs> that fussed about it. Um, baking then. Um, yeah. Baking and lockdown. Um, you say you've been doing a bit of baking yourself. You've been trying to, to yeah. make yourself better. Yeah. For what? It's, ho it's for me. I, weirdly, my dad never said I was a decent baker. Never. Never. 
And it, it, a lot of people would probably know this. You know, some some parents praise them all the time. Other parents don't. My dad was never the one to say, you've done really well. Mm. My dad is so, he's a sort of character. He's taught me how to play chess. And when I beat him, he never played me again. <laughs> it's like me and my son on the PlayStation. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> I must have, my son was like that. I'd be playing, I'd be go-karting with him, you know. Yeah. And then he beat me. i go, oh, well done, son. <laughs> never never raced him again. Um, but it was, it, 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 so it drives you, you. You have to have your own your own drive and I ended up doing that myself you know you almost praise yourself to to get you to push yourself you know this as a as a racer not everyone's going to pat you on the back and say you're doing really well they're going to have a go at you or you just generate your own right I need to chip off that time I need to knock off another three seconds where am I going to buy three where am I going to find three tenths in that lap where am I you start looking around at other teams you know to see oh are they doing it where are you what are you gathering uh, on that lap? Um, and I do the same with the baking. Um, and I think even though I've dabbled in a little bit of racing myself in the car, it's the same thing. You're your own worst enemy sometimes. You get so wrapped up in yourself that you don't listen to people sometimes. And I, I, I'm, I'm guilty of that. You know, and I'm, I'm, I'm very driven. I'm very focused on what I do. I'm very ambitious. I don't... Never thought of myself as being ambitious. I and mean, funny enough, my mum said to me, I never thought of you doing television. You're all, I was always really shy. Mm. I mean, really shy as a kid. Doing television is alien to me. My mum always still, she keeps a scrapbook of everything I've done. And I found them, you know, my mum goes, oh, look at this one. And she's cut out all the sort of tabloid stuff. And I'm going, mum, why have you kept that? <laughs> a picture, picture. I know it is, mum, but why have you kept that? But, She's very proud of me, you know, and she, she said, I'm very proud of you. And my dad um, has said recently that he is. So that's made a, a difference psychologically for me. Um, I don't feel I'm on my own, you know. And I, I think it's weird when uh, it's, it's difficult. I've had friends all my life back home who have been lifelong friends who I talk to all the time. And I've missed them during lockdown because you haven't got that social interaction, have you? Yeah. So when you do meet them or Zoom each other, you sort of, it takes me a while to get through all the, oh yeah, Bake Off was great, you know, I really enjoyed it. And into the, how are you? And I go, mm, a bit lonely, to be honest. You know, I, I do feel a little bit lonely sometimes. And it's, sometimes it's difficult to talk to friends who are not part of the TV world about how you're feeling about certain things. You know, whether it's the fame game or how the press are reacting with you. Mm. How do you talk to someone about that? Because they've got no- Experience. Experience with yeah. that. So. Yeah. You end up talking to people who are in the business, and a couple of people, I'm not going to name them, have been brilliant. And they've been, you know, real, a real rock for me. Mm. When, when I am at my lowest ebb, and I've just seen a load of stuff in the press, and I'm thinking, why? You know, why? I don't need this, you know. Things are bad enough for, in the world with everything going on. Why do you need to think that's interesting to people, you know? And so you, you go into your shell a little bit, you know, you just pull back a little bit. I think talking to my friends has helped me, you know, just a vent. And I think that venting through COVID, you need to vent. I think you need to, you know, do something to get it out of your system because I think you do go a little bit stir crazy. And baking has become that vent. Mm. You know, reading a book, your book as well, great book, by the way, mate. You can say that again. Yeah, the autobiography is great. <laughs> um, and I think ultimately it was the reading of the books. It was doing Lego I did a, I did, I've done so much Lego, it's been ridiculous. People have bought me Lego models in the past. I've done a Lamborghini, I've done a, a Porsche, I've done Bugattis. I, I love making Lego because it 
really appeals to what me. What about that other that other Ducati model you showed me? Oh, I did a. I think it's Pocker. The Pocker did this uh, model of a bike, which was a anniversary twelve nine nine Ducati, and the box was massive. And I thought, I'm never going to build that. It's it's like Meccano, but it's like a real bike, one to four scale, so it's big. Hmm. And I built it over a period of three weeks. It's all pre-painted in die cast. Mm. You have to screw in it's thousands and thousands of these little screws you have to screw in. But at the end of it, I looked back and I went, look what I've done. <laughs> I, I don't think, <laughs> yeah, I don't think if it wasn't in lockdown, I wouldn't have done that. Mm. But I'd spend hours and hours just building this beautiful model artwork. So you think then um, lockdown, uh, obviously, for some people, it's very difficult, as you said, you know, people perhaps living in flats and having to, mm. you know, bring up their kids and not be able to go out and stuff. Has this time in lockdown given you the chance to to kind of find a, a new Paul Hollywood, if you like, or, or to or to perfect the version, you know, to make you the, the, the better version of the person you are? I'll never be perfect. I mean, I, I'm more, I suppose I'm more focused now and I, and I, uh, I, I, I appreciate what I've got. Um, where sometimes you can take a lot of things for granted. And I appreciate what I've got, you know, where I live. Um, and I appreciate more what I've got now than I did. And I think, you know, you lo you walk out your front door and you think, I'm lucky, you know, to be here. I'm lucky to do the job I do. I was lucky to do Bake Off during COVID last year. You know, we had to jump through hoops to do it. Um, and to meet the, the team, there was over 120 of us, including the hotel staff who were all on lockdown. Um, with us, and we were tested three times going up. We were tested throughout the, you know, the series on the, in this big bubble. That was an amazing feeling. You don't realize we are social creatures, humans, and I think we all missed it. And it was like, you know, Bake Off is like a family. I've known some of these, the cameramen, producers for 11 years, you know, and we've known each other for so long that this is all... This is what I know. This mm. has become my life. The interaction with them guys is, yeah. is like your normal life. And to yeah. meet them again, it's like I had to wait 24 hours. So when you initially went into this uh, bubble, you go to your room, you're not allowed out your room. Mm. And then you said you can't go. I mean, beautiful room. And uh, we couldn't leave the room. So we were tested. said so you can't mix with the other guys. So I said, not again. I've had three tests coming up. Now you've got another one to do. So I was tested. Then 24 hours later, I was let out of the room. And there was Noel. There was Matt. It was brilliant, and it was Prue, and I just went up, and we had a big group hug, and I thought, well, he said, what do you want to do? I said, I want a pint. <laughs> <laughs> so I had a pint. I was outside, sitting with my friends, talking about what we're going to do, and I thought, it's okay. It's okay. You know, this is, this, this is going to be good, and I think it was fun. I think that life in general is a bit like that at the moment, isn't it? It's given us all time mm. to reflect. You know, this lockdown's been so so different and you are right you know we are we are fairly kind of social creatures aren't we we mm. need interaction and stuff like that and i think having the time to to sit indoors and and, and do stuff and, and dwell on stuff and you know think about ways to to make life better you know there's lots to look forward to obviously mm. the vaccines are being rolled out um many people will get them uh, the mm. more the better the sooner the better and uh, and we can all crack on and, and you know look forward to the to the next chapters if you like exactly i i think ultimately where we are now let's get this vaccine done let's get the country opening up stage by stage and i think we're all going to be in a much happier place afterwards appreciative place I yeah think. i think i think yeah. we've taken a lot for granted yeah. and i think we won't take stuff for granted when we come out i think we're going to appreciate each other I think we need to show a lot of love to each other, including the press. Mm. <laughs> I think we need to show a lot of love to each other. And I think we need to 
look after each other more. And I think that's happened during lockdown. Mm. And, uh, you know, the NHS, the whole rainbow thing. Yeah. That's where we have to be. And I think we need to stay in. I don't think, I think COVID's going to be around for many years, but obviously not the way we are now. Mm. But I think it, we're more appreciative of each other and what we have. Mm. Be appreciative of what you, you've got and don't take it for granted. So one last question then. What has Paul Hollywood learned from this lockdown? You know, when we come out of lockdown and life gets back to normal, what do you think is going to be the, the biggest lesson that is that is taught you? Don't take everything for granted. Mm. Fair play. Well, let's look forward to not taking everything for granted and, and <laughs> moving on in the future. Exactly.